and some things God did and bringing us up to the point of coming to North Belt. So I hope you're ready to be here for a long time. Just kidding. No, but um, we just wanted to start at the very beginning. Um, I was born in Texarkana, Texas, on the Texas side. I've always been very braggadocious about that. And um, my dad was pastoring, actually, his first pastorate in Arkansas, um, over in Nashville, Arkansas, where my mom was born and raised, and um, they didn't have a hospital that delivered babies. So we had to go over into um, Texas. I was born in a timely manner, as a preacher should, on Sunday morning. That's right. And so... Um, my mom's doctor, who was a Sunday school teacher, he missed Sunday school. And my dad, the pastor of another church, missed preaching. And they stood at the foot of my mom's bed discussing what they would have been teaching and preaching that morning. My mom still tells that and still doesn't appreciate that conversation. But um, raised in a pastor's home, grew up in a um, little while in Arkansas. I don't really remember that time, but then in Mississippi, my dad taught at a Bible college and um, pastored as well and endured a church split and um, helped start a church in Mississippi as well. And then God called my parents to move to South Louisiana to start a church in a highly um, um, Catholic area. So starting a Baptist church, there were a lot of odd things. That was also the time of um, the big scandal. I don't even remember what that was. I was a little kid, but... I'm Jim Baker, and um, anyway, so anytime my dad would knock on a door, we got this new church starting, I'm Pastor Winfred Baker. Ah, oh, you know, said a lot. He was no relation to that Baker. He has one K in his name. And anyway, um, but I grew up in a pastor's home with a constant, constantly hearing the gospel um, all the time. And so from a young age, I realized I needed Christ one night I was up playing in my room and I wasn't supposed to be, but I've always had trouble going to sleep at night and some, since the time I was a little kid. And so I couldn't go to sleep. And once everyone else fell asleep, I decided to um, get up and play, which was normal. Anyway, on this particular night, my dad caught me. And so he came into the room and I knew here's the wrath of dad. I'm about to get a spanking. So I have to come up with some kind of spiritual reason to be up to get myself out of trouble. So I told my dad, I need to get saved. <laughs> I, was, I was six years old. And anyway, so my dad sits down, goes through the plan of salvation with me. I mean, obvious I'm a sinner, right? I just lied. I mean, I did need to be saved. But that is not what I was thinking about until I was trying to get out of a spanking. And anyway, I prayed to receive Christ, was baptized a short time later. Later, my mom talked about the change that she saw in my life. But at 13 years old, at this time we were living in Louisiana, and at 13 years old I really began to have a lot of doubts about my salvation and just really, really disturbed about realizing I may be going to hell. And on March 15th, I got my salvation nailed down as a 13-year-old because I finally came to the point of realizing I don't know whether I was saved or not when I was six. And I also remembered the fact that I lied to my dad to lead to the whole thing. So there were doubts. I mean, you didn't even go about getting saved, honestly, is what the <laughs> Satan would tell me. And anyway, but at 13, I got some real confidence. Now I know I'm saved. And then at 16, I, I battled with it one more time, seriously. And one night, I just got so desperate. I was laying in my bed, just sweating bullets. And so finally, I just got out of my bed and got on my face before God. 
And I was thinking about the cross, meditating on the cross and what Jesus had done for me. And yet I was having trouble believing that I could have enough faith to really truly be saved. And um, I just laid on the floor that day and told God, if I go to hell, it's your fault. Because all I can do is throw myself at your feet and trust what you've done. Now, I got off the floor going, did I just get saved? I really don't know. Anyway, later I finally realized one day that I got saved as a six-year-old. At 13, I started really understanding my depravity. And so that brought about a new understanding, and it was as though I had gotten saved at that point. And then at 16, it was a point of coming to understand Christ's finished work on the cross in a deeper way. And so I, I think often kids who are raised in church struggle with, when did I get saved? Do I, did I really get saved before? And, um, and that can be a real struggle growing up. But the most important thing that I came to realize was that my faith had to be in Jesus Christ and what he had done. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with the prayer I had prayed. It was simply placing my faith in what Jesus Christ had done on the cross, that he was buried, he rose again three days later, and I really came to understand that more fully when I was 16 years old. And that has brought such peace ever since then. And later I would start to have doubts again. And I would just say it out loud. No, Satan, if I go to hell with you, it's Jesus' fault. I'm just trusting him. And it's amazing after saying that out loud two or three times, I started realizing this is true. I don't have to be afraid of this anymore. This isn't something that has to torture me. And I got so much peace in realizing what Christ had done. So I was born in Wichita, Kansas. So we got here as soon as we could, but I wasn't born in Texas. Um, I was the second of four girls in our family, and I was raised by wonderful Christian parents who loved the Lord and raised us to be in church, not just Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, but all kinds of weeks. And uh, we would spend hours sometimes through the week preparing for vacation Bible school and doing Awanas. And um, I was so grateful for that. Um, but at four, my sister, Melanie, got saved, and I remember the day that she got saved. And so the next day, I decided to follow her footsteps, and I got saved. Um, I prayed a prayer, but actually, I didn't trust Jesus for salvation at that time. Um, I think I was just following what she did, and I understood about salvation, but I did not trust what Jesus did. Um, but I did understand what it meant to be saved, and... Um, Anyway, at that time, I did not get saved, but I prayed a prayer and um, started to learn more about, about God. Um, but like I said, our family was involved in vacation Bible schools and Awanas, and um, I learned a lot of scripture through Awana. We did all the way through. I think I only there were two Awana books that I didn't finish, so I learned a lot of scripture, and I was always encouraged by people, learn it while you're young because it's so hard when you get old, and I thought they meant like when you get to be 40, I didn't know they meant like 20. So I'm all the scripture I know, I think I learned from a one of them almost and some that we learned at home um, because I tried to learn scripture past that and, and it's really, really hard. So um, anyway, I was really grateful for all the, those things that my parents had us in. And then I was um, in Christian school. My parents put us in Christian school until I was finished second grade and then they did took the path less traveled and homeschooled us. And I was so thankful for that too, because I felt like I got a very good education, a solid Christian education. Um, almost everything that we did 
was based on the Bible. And I felt like as a young person that we didn't just make decisions. My parents taught us not to make decisions just based on what you want to do or um, what you think is right, but go to God's word. And so even the school that we we studied was based on God's word. And um, so at an early age, they taught us to go to God's word and hear from God. Um, so at this time, obviously, I doubted my salvation because I wasn't saved. And so I was having a lot of doubts, but I wasn't even allowing myself. I had so much pride. I wasn't allowing myself to even be honest with myself. And so I would tell myself, well, I know how to be saved. I had even led other people to salvation at that point. Um, it's amazing what God's word can do even through people who aren't saved themselves. But, um, but I was not being honest and I was so angry inside a lot. I would fight with my sisters and sometimes it scared me even how angry I could get at them um, for little things that they would do. But, um, and I had a lot of fear and, um, and I think those were not the fruits of the spirit. So I, looking back, I am confident I didn't get saved at six because there was no fruit of the spirit in my heart. I was living what seemed probably to be a Christian life. In fact, I would say out of our youth group, we looked really, really good because we dressed right and acted right. And um, we looked like model um, young people in church. But, um, but on the inside, I, I was just raised, I was acting out how I was raised. But on the inside, I didn't have those fruits of the spirit and I wasn't growing in Christ. Um, however, when I was 17, our church took part in a pilot program that Awana was doing to send some youth groups, whole entire youth groups, to go um, overseas and help with other Awana programs. Um, so our church was picked to be part of that pilot group, and but they only wanted juniors and seniors. And so in our family, I was the only one who fit into the age group that was allowed to go. And so I was going by myself um, to Jamaica. So I had... A, a very international salvation so um, that God brought me to. So I went on this trip and we went to Jamaica and Jamaica is a very dark place. Um, it was, I was expecting it to be just like tropical and it was, but I didn't expect the darkness, um, the oppression, uh, spiritual oppression that we felt. And um, so we did vacation Bible schools with the kids and we did a lot of Awana things um, while we were there. But one Wednesday night, we were just having church and the church was just a, a short way up down a hill from the house that we had been staying and the lights went out. And so the pastor, our youth pastor was going to be preaching. He said, well, we can't have church. It's dark. There's no lights anywhere. So go just get by yourself with God. Use this time to get by yourself with God and see what God would say to you. And so um, somehow I ended up being the only one, I think, that went back up to our house where we were staying. I don't know where anyone else went, um, but I ended up just in my room. And I know God had that for me to be by myself like that. I think it was the most alone I have ever felt because I was the only Bogner and the only one in that house and the only, you know, not even in the country where my family was. And um, anyway, so I got by myself with God and I just opened my Bible. And before I could even, I thought I would just read my Bible, but before I could even do that, God just spoke to my heart and said, just be honest with me. And so I, I just told God, God, I, I'm not saved. I haven't trusted you. I'm trusting what I'm doing to try to be good enough and to try to trust you enough and to try to um, 
to get to heaven, but I knew that wasn't enough. And I knew that if I stood before Christ, I, w- I wouldn't be allowed into heaven. And so um, right there, I was finally able to be honest with myself and honest with God and just cried out to him and asked him to save me. And so um, he did. And I'm so thankful for that, that he always does. When we ask him and put our faith and trust actually in him, he is always faithful to forgive us. And um, so then I asked him right away, I said, well, I don't want to go through doubts like I've had my whole life so far. Um, God, give me a scripture that I can trust that this day I did get saved. And so he took me to Psalm 27, verse 1, that says, um, sorry, here it is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Um, Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Um, And then... After that, at that point, I started to see rapid spiritual growth in my life. And instead of the fear and anger, I had peace and joy and love in my heart. Amen. So <clears throat> around the age of 13, after I had dealt with that first <clears throat> round of dealing with assurance of my salvation, I knew that God was calling me into ministry, or I, I highly sensed that, I should say. I had always been interested in music, started piano lessons when I was nine, and Um, was really working to be a church musician. I wanted to write music when I grew up and um, publish piano books and um, maybe be an evangelist or, um, you know, a singing, preaching evangelist or something. Although I still wasn't keen on this idea of preaching. That scared the daylights out of me. But I was going to do something like that or I'd be a missionary. I had always been interested in missions at 12 years old, saw a video about a missionary in the Philippines, and I knew then this is what I want to do. I want to go to the mountains of the Philippines. I had met others who taught music overseas, and I thought, that's it. That's me. I had a cousin, actually, who did that, and so I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to do what Brother Doug, Cousin Doug does. And Anyway, God began to deal with my heart very seriously, though, at a point, and my mom could tell you what age I was. I don't remember right now, but it was between 13 and 16. God really began to deal with my heart, and I knew God was calling me to preach. But my problem was, I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I would say. I have no clue. I have nothing to say to people. And so it scared me, and then I began to think. I remember laying in the floor, um, sleeping on the floor in my sister's bedroom one night, um, and thinking, knowing God was calling me, and thinking, but God, how many sermons would that be? So if I live from now till then, and if I started having to preach three sermons a week, so I started doing the math on that, and I began to sweat more, and I was horrified. Anyway, so as I'm starting to process all of this one day, um, our family was sitting at lunch, and we're eating, and we're talking, and my mom was talking about a, a medical thing that had happened to a friend, and I got up and went to the refrigerator, and I opened the refrigerator door, and all I can remember is thinking, boy, I feel dizzy. And the next thing I know, I wake up, and my, I'm sort of hearing what's going on in the room, and my dad's on the phone with the paramedics, an ambulance is on the way to the house, and my mom is screaming at me to wake up. And I had had a seizure. I went through, after this, I went through months of testing. They tested my brain. They tested my heart. My dad would say they didn't find anything when they tested the brain. (laughs) They didn't find anything wrong, but he claims they didn't find anything. But they, they couldn't find any reason why I would have such a bad seizure. 
um, but I knew why I had had the seizure, because God was trying to get my attention. And the reason why I was laying in the floor of my sister's room that night is because I had had the seizure, been at the hospital that day, got back home. I was laying in my bedroom, in my sister's bedroom floor, because if I had another seizure during the night, my brother would never wake up to to help me. Um, But my sister, I knew, would hear me. And so I was on the floor beside her bed, and I'm dealing with God. And I knew what God was telling me is, you need to fear me more than you fear others. Because I was afraid of standing up in front of crowds or groups, small groups of people, largest groups of people, it didn't matter. And I was really scared of that. And the Lord showed me that night that I needed to fear him. And that night I was just laying there. I'm like, but what if I'm wrong? What if you're not really calling me? Anyway, I finally came to the point that night to say, okay, God, if you're calling me to preach, I'm willing to preach. I'll do whatever you want. And um, then I realized God had given me my first sermon, fear the Lord. And so that was my first sermon. I think I preached for an hour, maybe more. I went through every verse in the Bible, literally, on fearing God. (laughs) I had friends who were in pain when I got through talking. But um, God took me to a passage of Scripture, and it meant so much to me those first few years, especially of preaching. It still means a lot to me. This, to this day. But there were so many times at the very beginning when I was trying to learn, it was the power of God and not mine. It was God's words and not mine that I would quote this verse. It's from Jeremiah chapter one. I would quote this passage over and over. And it's where God called Jeremiah into the ministry. And it says, then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And when I read that, I'm like, that's me. That's me. I'm right there with Jeremiah. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces. And that was what scared me to death, is getting up in front of people and looking them in the eyes. People would say, look over their heads. I'm like, but I'm not preaching to the wall. God is giving me this message to talk to these people. And then I'd look at people and I'd start shaking horribly. And God told Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. Look at them. That was just so powerful to me. Um, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And that night the Lord just told me, It is not your job to come up with what to talk about. I will give you the message. And then he went on, See, I have set thee this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. And there have been times where I've struggled over a message and God reminded me that this is a message to destroy something. This is a message to pull down something. And um, that was just such a powerful passage of scripture that God used to strengthen me. I I knew that God was calling me, as I said, to do more music ministry and um, to work in children's ministries. I was always begging God to send me to the Philippines. Um, to live permanently, and the Lord and I were given the opportunity when we first got married, but the Lord was just not pointing that direction. But there was a point where I said, I would do anything, God, in ministry, but I can't pastor. 
because I would kill all the people. And I had grown up in a pastor's home, and I'd watch my dad be so gracious and have such a pastor's heart, and a man stand outside cursing out my dad, one of his right-hand church members just suddenly flipped out, out there screaming and hollering and cursing him and um, going on. And I thought, you know, and my dad comes in, such a sweet pastor's heart toward the man, and I'm just like, rah, rah. And I thought I would just, I could never do that. And one day they were, I had been preaching for a few years, and um, I guess maybe five years, and um, they had a men's meeting. And they came out of the men's meeting, and uh, the way Trinity works, there's the pastor, and then all of the men are in all the business meetings, and it has to be unanimous. It has to be 100% to make any decision. And um, they come out of the meeting, and my dad said, we need to go home and talk. And he said, um, it was brought up in the meeting today that there are a couple of the men said they believe God has called you to preach and God has definitely ordained you and put you here and the church needs to lay hands on you and ordain you and make you the assistant pastor. Well, I didn't argue with that. It's my dad, right? But I got in my quiet time and I'm like, okay, God, this isn't how things are done. I don't feel called to this. You know, I'm going to be the music guy. I'm going to be a missionary in the Philippines. I am not going to be assistant pastor at a church with people. I mean, in the Philippines, it'd be people too, but somehow or another, that was different in my mind. Anyway, um, God just began to show me how he died. I mean, in the book of Acts, what did they do? They all got together, they prayed. Who is it that we ordained to replace Judas? And they said, oh, it's him. Okay, he didn't have a choice. You know, they went over, laid hands on him, ordained him. And anyway, I realized this is what God is calling me to do. And it was shortly after that I had begun um, working in a couple of Bible colleges in the Philippines and realized needed to get more training and had just finished my bachelor's degree, working on my master's. At the end of working on my master's degree, I went to music school and met a fellow student. So, Laurie, you can take it with that. So, um, after I finished high school, I prayed about what God would have me do, and I took a year to do some uh, ministry things. I went to Excel and some of those other programs, but um, I was really praying about what God wanted me to do, and what I thought would be really fun to do would be to be some sort of like political assistant, uh, maybe to a legislator or something like that, or a congressman. Um, I, I like to argue with people, and so that seemed like a fit. Um, it seemed really like something I could have a lot of impact. And um, so I, that, that seemed like something I wanted to do. But it felt like God was just actually leading me into children's ministries, which he had already done so much. Um, preparation for that in my life with all the things our family had done. Um, and then music ministry. Well, I loved playing the piano, but I wasn't good at it. And, um, and my sister Amy is gifted. And I think there are gifted people and then people who practice a lot. And I was in that practicing part. Um, so I couldn't, I, I enjoyed piano, but I couldn't really see why I would go to do music school because what would that benefit me really? I mean, I already taught some piano students and they were doing fine with the little bit I already knew. So, you know, why would I spend my parents' money and all that time to go study more music? But I felt more and more like that was what God was leading me to do. And, you know, why, how could I ever use that in my life? <laughs> you never know what God's gonna use in your life that you really need. And so God knew obviously better than I did. But um, 
through a couple of verses I wanted to share. So Psalm 73, 28 said, but it is good for me to draw near to God. And I knew if I was going to do music, I would be drawing near to God because it would keep me in a place where I needed help a lot. Um, I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. And one thing I loved about music was that it just declared God's work so vividly. And I did want to teach others how um, even just the, the theory of music um, just proclaims God's um, handiwork. And so God used that scripture. And then um, Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song, will I praise him. And so God used those scriptures to show me that I should go and do get a music degree. Um, so I, we felt like as a family that I should um, study at home, but in order to do the music classes, I had to go to Indianapolis to take those music classes. So God worked it out. I don't know, I don't think this ever happened any other time, but I was able to go for one time and take all the music classes I needed in three months. Um, that's kind of unheard of. Aaron had to go back and forth for several years um, to get all of his music classes, but mine just all landed just perfectly in, in three months so I could fly up, take all the classes, and come home. Um, so my first two classes were Aaron's last two classes, and that's how we ended up meeting and actually got to share a desk. Um, they never do that, you know? Indianapolis Training Center, they separate guys and girls like on different floors and things, but they put us together at the same desk. And um, anyway, I noticed him right away. And my parents were looking for a, a guy to help with some of their homeschool um, children's program ministry. And Melanie was in Chicago and people had told her, check out Aaron Baker. And she had never heard of him. And so she told mom and dad and they said, well, he sounds familiar. I think he's in a class with Laura in Indianapolis right now. And so they asked me and they said, well, check him out. So I said, I can do that. <laughs> so I happily agreed to check him out and um, then had to give him to God because I quickly discovered that I could like him a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I was finishing my degree and I'd made a commitment based on the principle in Proverbs that you should make it fit for thyself in the field and then build your house. So I needed to finish school first and anyway, met her as I'm taking my last two classes and um, got home, and God eventually began to deal with my heart about Laura, but I had a problem. How do I get Mr. Bogner's phone number? I mean, I didn't want to just out and tell Laura, hey, I want your dad's phone number. Duh, what I'm asking for, you know. I was trying to be, you know, discreet. Thank you. And so I was out praying one day. I'm out in our front yard, and I was refinishing an old desk that I had bought that I thought was an antique till I stripped it down to press wood. And um, <laughs> anyway, I'm out there sanding and sanding, and I'm just praying about this. And I'm like, Lord, okay, well, you keep bringing this Laura up. And I knew I really liked her. And I'm like, if this is really who you're, you know, who you want me to marry, I just, how I, she's in Houston, I'm here, like how we, how we get reconnected, how can I get her dad's number? I kid you not, I am talking to the Lord outside about this, and my mom comes to the front door and says, hey Aaron, there's a phone call for you. I said, who is it? She said, some man, Bogner, 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 Mr. Bogner, scared me to death. How does this man know I'm thinking about his daughter? And so I went into the house and answered. And anyway, Mr. Bogner was calling, Mr. Bogner was calling to see if I would pray about 
um, coming to work here in Houston um, from time to time with their children's ministry. And anyway, it was amazing how God brought that to be. And the more we didn't even get to spend much time together, but um, as our families worked together and I had other friends who began to say, uh, boy, these two families, these families are a match. And then the friends that knew both of us, Aaron and Laura, need to get married. And anyway, I finally caught on to what the Lord was saying. And anyway, so we got married, moved to Houston, worked with the children's ministries there and um, in the New Orleans, north of New Orleans, moved in Abita Springs. Orleans. What did I say? Moved to Houston. Yeah, moved to New Orleans area where I had been raised. And um, so... God, God was really blessing the ministry. We started a small Bible college and a music school training church musicians, and God was just extremely blessing that ministry. Um, we had a very small student body, but God was really working in the hearts of the students. And um, there came a point, and we were still working in the colleges in the Philippines. Um, we'd go for a month every year and teach. Um, we were at both adjunct faculty of the two colleges. And anyway, um, Finally, God just began to, my heart began to get really unsettled. And I, I remember at times on Sunday night after church, I, I remember one night I just drove down to the park and just sat in the park looking at the moon and praying, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go, but this isn't it anymore. I realize you're doing something. And so in my mind, I'm coming up with things, right? At first, we were going to go into evangelism because you can go in, preach, get everybody worked up, some people mad, and then you leave. And pastor has to deal with the problems. And I liked that idea. We prayed about the Philippines again. God just was confirming to us that's not what we're supposed to do. I began to get a real burden for um, the Las Vegas, Nevada area. That I thought was weird. I did not want to raise my kids in that area, but that God just had such a burden on my heart. So I was praying for that area and God to start a church. One day I sat, one evening I sat down to watch nightly news and it comes on NBC nightly news. And what's the special about? Las Vegas and crime in Las Vegas. And I'm seeing the need for Christ in Las Vegas on the news. And Laura's cooking dinner behind me. And I said, baby, what would you think about starting a church in Las Vegas? Just give me a few minutes. I've all, I said, well, you've always said you'll follow me anywhere. Yes, I know, but that one will take some praying before I can do that. And anyway, later she comes to me, honey, if God tells you we need to start a church in Las Vegas, I'll go to Las Vegas. And then one day I get this email, this random email that this church in California was sending to fresh Bible college students and their brides to start a church in Las Vegas. And it's like the Lord said, you have been praying, preparing the ground for them. That's yeah. not where you're supposed to go. Yeah. Well, Lord, where am I? And I, it's a complete blank, blank slate. I went to my dad and I told my dad, I said, I really believe, I, I don't know what you need to do on your side with the Bible department, but I believe we need to close the music school. My dad said, no, it's not time for that. We don't need to close. Give it another year. We'll see what happens. And um, I just, I walked out of the office really discouraged because I thought he would agree with me. And um, I mean, the day God told me we needed to open the school, I went and told my dad and he said, God had told him that morning we needed to start the school too. So I expected my dad to say, yeah. Anyway, um, ended up getting some advice, called the Bogners, talked to them. Mrs. Bogner was helping us in the school and um, she, she said, you know, uh, maybe you ought to give it a year. 
And so that's what my dad said. Um, I had talked to an elderly preacher, Brother Bud Lance, who was just a, a really godly man I highly respected. And he said, Aaron, this ministry's needed. You Please don't close the school. Give it another year. Well, at the end of that year, it was November, and I walked into my dad's office, and I said, Daddy, I said, I don't know why, but I believe that this time is finished. And I was ready that day that if he said, no, we're going to keep the school open, I was just going to give my resignation because I knew it was time for me to go, even if it was time for the school to stay open. And so I walked in and I told him and he agreed to it. We offered our last class and it was a two-week course, very intense music theory course um, over a semester's work, worth of college theory in two weeks. It was intense. And anyway, during that second week, um, I got a phone call one day. Pastor Hubby said, would you, well, during the first week he called and said, could you call me back? Well, one day during the second week, I was able to step out of class for a few minutes one day, and I called Pastor Hubby, and Pastor Hubby said, would you even consider, would you even consider considering coming to Houston and serving at Northbound? And he said, I know you're working with your dad's ministry there. I don't want to call and ask you to leave your dad but I can't get this off my heart. The elders told me, um, well, uh, ask, call, ask, see. And so anyway, um, I mean, uh, by the time we hung up the phone, I felt like God was saying, okay, this is it. This is why I brought you to Clean Slate, because this is where you're supposed to go. It's not what I was seeking. It's not what I was even thinking we were going to be going to do. And so it was, it, it really surprised me, um, I went home that afternoon and asked Laura, what would you think about going to North Belt? And she just giggled, laughed. Wow, I didn't see that coming. And then literally went and started packing some boxes that evening. Um, so, but for me, it was a real struggle making sure that I was hearing from God. And, and then the aspect also, uh, I had worked with my dad. At that point, it was right at 15 years that I had been the assistant pastor there. And it was going to be a hard move to leave my dad. I felt like I was forsaking him. Um, but God took me to a couple passages of scripture. And one of those was in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham to go to the promised land. Um, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And then at the end of the next verse, he says, and thou shalt be a blessing. The Lord said, you want to be a blessing, then you need, it's time to leave. And so, and then uh, Psalm 45 was another passage that really, really impacted me. And so anyway, Laura and I prayed about it. I ended up flying to Houston to meet with the elders and with Mr. Um, Hewlin. He had just stepped down for me, an elder. And it was really comical because we had a house guest during that time. The house guest was Mercy Cepeda. Mm -hmm. So we're having to discuss moving to Houston to Mercy's church without Mercy knowing. And in while our little I'm, house. In our little house that you could, you could hear through the walls. Yeah. And then um, I fly here and Laura's taking Mercy to the bus depot in New Orleans. So while I'm here and we're having to have serious discussions She's taking Mercy and the kids around the Children's Museum in New Orleans, trying to scoop around corners so she can call me and us talk secretly so Mercy doesn't know what's going on. Anyway, but God, God gave absolutely clear direction 
Um, it was just amazing the ways in which God worked. And my heart was really, really sealed when I called my brother and talked to him about it. And when I was talking to my brother about it, and my, and my, my parents had given, um, you know, their, their blessing. Yeah, we, we, we agree. Yeah, this is what God would have you all do. And it was extremely difficult for them. My mom said she was really upset at first. And um, she, she went out of the room. And when she got out of the room, God reminded her. She thought for years we were going to the Philippines. And she said, you know what? Houston's a lot closer. <laughs> and so, and then, of course, she thought about she'd had us and the kids all those years. And now the Bogners got us. And so that made it a much easier move on my mom's part. But um, God was, um, what's the budget say? Anyway, God dealt with our hearts. God moved us here, and we're oh, just... Your brother. Oh, yeah, thank you. When, when I called my brother and asked him to pray about it and told him it was North Bell, which he wasn't really familiar with, and anyway, but my brother says, well, let's pray before we get off the phone. And the first half of his prayer, he was praying, and Lord, would you give them direction as to what they're supposed to do? And if they're supposed to go, would you prepare their children's hearts? And would you? And so he started praying. Well, halfway through the prayer, all of a sudden, I realized he's not praying that way anymore. And he says, "And Lord, give the kids peace when they move, and this when they move." And, and suddenly, my brother is no longer praying, "Give them direction," but now he's thanking the Lord for having given direction and prepare the way before us. And so, as I heard my brother, I was starting to realize, okay, God is speaking to all of the family. Laura's sisters, when we called um, Bethany and told Bethany, Laura's sister Bethany said, you know, for the last two years, we've thought that God was about to move y'all. Well, it had been two years God was dealing with us. My brother told me, my wife and I have been talking. The last two years, Sarah and I have been thinking that God was going to move y'all. And so it was just amazing, the confirmation that God gave. And um, we're just really grateful to God that he brought us here to North Bell. So anyway, so I guess we should say at this point to be continued. That's right. So. <laughs>